Volume three, chapter ten of the Old Manor House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Manor House by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume three, chapter ten. Torn by these distracting contests between love and duty, Orlando continued for some moments to traverse the place where Warwick had left him. His two younger sisters appeared to interrupt without relieving this painful debate. He learned from them that Captain Warwick and Isabella were gone together for a walk, and that the former had sent them to him, as he wanted to speak with them. A new doubt now arose in the mind of Orlando. Ought he to communicate to Selina what was going forward, of which she appeared to be ignorant, or conceal within his own bosom what he could not prevent, or entirely disapprove? After a little consideration, he thought it would be best not to make Selina a party, and he endeavoured to dissemble as well as he could the conflict of passions which were preying on his heart. His father, pale and dejected, with a low and languid step, soon after joined them. He bade the two girls go to their mother, and then, taking Orlando's arm, they walked together to a greater distance from the house. "'You go then to-morrow, Orlando,' said Somerive. "'There are no hopes of any favourable reverse to this cruel sentiments. "'Miss Rayland, I find,' he hesitated, does not wish to interfere sir replied orlando on the contrary she seems to think that a young man of my age and profession cannot be so well employed as in the actual service of his country somerive answered only with a deep sigh and after a short pause orlando went on i beseech you my dearest sir not to make yourself thus unhappy consider that notwithstanding this temporary parting my prospects are infinitely better than i had any right to expect and they might however have been better said his father in his turn interrupting him at least they might have been more permanently assured if you had listened to the proposals we heard yesterday instead of quitting your family you might have then been settled near it in affluence let us not my dear father answered orlando discuss that any more i would not marry miss hollybourn if she could give me a kingdom nor give up your boyish fancy for that girl at the hall to save your family to save your father orlando started as if he had trod on a serpent this was a string that jarred too much. It threatened to destroy all the virtuous resolutions which he had been labouring to adopt, for it seemed to be cruelty and injustice in his father to reproach him, and conscious of the sacrifice he hoped to have fortune enough to make, it appeared too hard that he was at the moment blamed for not making more. No, sir, he said, i will not give up my fancy for the girl at the hall as you are pleased to term her but i see not how my affection for her can injure my family 
nor how my resigning her could save them for god's sake do not embitter the few hours we are to pass together either by reproaches which indeed i do not deserve or by concern which the occasion does not demand believe me your son suffers enough without the additional misery of seeing you either displeased with him or grieving for him orlando then fearful that any further conversation with his father in the humour he seemed to be in would serve only to give pain to them both and wishing to be alone for a few minutes before he again saw warwick went another way and on his return to the house he found an official letter directing him to repair immediately for portsmouth where the captain of his company was assembling his men in order to embark immediately for america thus certain that he must set out the next day and that he had only a few moments before he must meet warwick and give his answer he hid himself in the least frequented part of the shrubbery that adjoined to the house and again considered of the tempting offer that was made him fascinating as it was and though his excessive affection for monimia was often on the point of overbalancing every other consideration whatever his pride and his duty his affection for his father and his respect for himself united at length to conquer his inclination how could he bear to plunge a dagger into the heart of his father who had little other hope on earth but in him or if he could determine on that and fortify himself against the reproaches his conscience might make him how could he submit to be obliged for his support for the support of monimia to warwick there was something repugnant to the generous feelings of orlando in warwick's using the very money his uncle had given him as the means of disappointing his benefactor but whatever apology warwick might make to himself for this orlando thought there could be none for him if he were to participate in money thus acquired he knew that accustomed to expense and to indulgences as his friend was a thousand pounds would be no very permanent resource when isabella was to share it and he could not bear that he should be supposed to convene that he should be supposed to connive at her flight only to become with monimia a burden to her on the slender pay of an ensign it were madness to think he could support her wife however humble might be her wishes and his marriage would cut him off for ever from all hopes of that assistance from mrs rayland which his father even though he should forgive had not the power to afford him could he then endure to expose his beloved monimia to the inconveniences of following a camp without having the means of procuring her such alleviations as it allowed he might die in the field and leave her exposed to hazards infinitely greater than those which could befall her in england this last consideration determined him it decided his wavering virtue and he resolved to give warwick a positive refusal immediately before he could relapse and to conceal the almost invincible temptation he had been under from his monomia lest her weaker 
softer heart yielding to it, he should again find himself unable to resist. He now hastened to find Warwick, and fortunately met him at the entrance of the house, whither they were summoned to dinner. Warwick inquired with great eagerness on what he had resolved. To be miserable, answered Orlando, in abstaining from what is wrong, I should be miserable if I agreed, Warwick, to your proposal, and I have determined, since either way I must be unhappy, to be so with integrity rather than self-reproach. What the devil, said Warwick, you won't go then my way? No, I will not. But you will not, I hope, sir, cried Warwick half angrily. You will not think it necessary to prevent your sister. Orlando, who did not greatly relish the peremptory manner in which this was said, answered coldly, You have my honour, Captain Warwick, and any other question is an affront. Forgive me, my friend, replied Warwick, assuming his usual good humour. Forgive me for doubting you. I cannot live without Isabella, nor do I intend to try at it. I have prevailed upon her, not without difficulty, I assure you, to consent to meet me at Portsmouth. You know how much happiness your going with Monomia would have given to us all. But I have not a moment to argue the matter with you. You say you are determined, so am I, and all I ask of you is, that you will not rob me of my happiness upon the same false, cold sort of reasoning system to which you are sacrificing your own. A servant, now coming out to say that dinner waited, they went into their house. A melancholy and silent meal was soon concluded. The general's horse was brought to the door, on which Warwick was to go to the next post-town, and he rose to take leave of the family which he did with a composure that amazed Orlando, who had no idea how a man could so conceal the feelings which must on such an occasion naturally arise. Isabella was far from appearing so tranquil, but all the rest were too much engaged with their own sensations to remark those which her countenance betrayed, though to Orlando her confusion was evident. Warwick went up to receive the last orders of his uncle, and then prepared to mount his horse. When Orlando took his arm and begged he would send the servant on with the horses and give him a few moments' attention as they walked on after them, Warwick readily agreed in hopes that he had changed his mind. But Orlando soon put an end to such expectations by asking him in what way Isabella was to meet him. I have given you my honour, Warwick, said he, not to betray you, but I must have yours in return that my sister shall be exposed to no improper adventures. How is she, who never was from home in her life, but for a few days with her mother in London, to find her way to Portsmouth? Ridiculous! exclaimed Warwick. To find her way to Portsmouth? One would really think she was to take a flight to the extreme parts of the earth, instead of hardly five-and-thirty miles. My poor friend, thou hast not been used, I see, to these little adventures. 
I have an aide-de-camp, who, in the absence of his commander, can secure a little deserter for him. Isabella is determined to trust me, and it may suffice you to know that I love her too well not to take every possible precaution for her safety. No, said Orlando, it may not suffice, though I have promised not to interfere. It is only on condition that I am sure my sister will not suffer either in her person or her reputation. Give me, therefore, the particulars. Warwick then related that his servant on whom he could depend was on the evening they should appoint to be ready with a post-chaise and four at some place they could fix upon, where after supper Isabella, instead of retiring to her room, should meet it. "'Nothing is more easy, I suppose,' said Warwick, or less dangerous, "'than for your sister to do this, and when she is once off in the chaise, relays of horses being ordered at the two stages between this and Portsmouth. My servant, following on horseback, will escort her thither in less than four hours. There I shall have a vessel ready to carry us to Jersey. Money, my dear boy, money, contrivance, and courage are all that are necessary. I have found the first two, and have given the last to the only person that wanted it. I have convinced Isabella that, if she follows my directions, she may be at Portsmouth before she is missed, and married before any one can guess where to look for her. Well, Orlando, you now have my whole plan, and I trust to your honour not to render it abortive. And I, replied Orlando, trust my sister to yours, not without reluctance and remorse. We shall probably meet at Portsmouth. Probably, answered Warwick, for the two companies are to embark at the same time, and I only trust to some private interest, which I have prevailed upon my uncle to make for me, to procure leave to embark in whatever vessel is most convenient. The captain of one of the frigates is my particular friend, and I shall probably get a berth with him instead of going in a transport. Orlando, to whom the whole scheme appeared easily practicable, now again felt all the disposition to join in it which he had before combated. But again his reason came to his aid, and he saw Warwick depart without betraying any symptoms of that struggle which still tore his heart. Once more, however, he subdued it, and recalled his resolution to go through the trying scene which was to await him on his return to the house, where he was early in the evening to bid adieu to all his family, in order to sup with Mrs. Rayland, as she had desired, and then the last cruel parting with Monimia, more dreadful than any of his former sufferings, was to embitter his last moments at Rayland Hall. Mrs. Rayland received him with as much calmness as if he only came on a usual visit. Of the violent emotions which agitated him she had no idea. Time and uninterrupted prosperity had so blunted the little sensibility nature had given her that she was utterly incapable of participating or comprehending 
the acute feelings of her young favourite yet in her way she was extremely kind to him and after giving him another course of excellent advice which lasted near two hours she told him that as his first equipment might have taken a good part of her formal present she had another note of fifty pounds at his service this present was extremely acceptable to orlando who had not above sixty left on her preceding bounty mrs rayland detaining orlando an hour longer than he expected at length dismissed him with her blessing and orlando shed tears of gratitude on her hand which he kissed and without being able to speak left her he then took leave of the servants but gave to mrs leonard with whom he desired to speak in her own room more time than to the rest and desirous of doing what he could to soften the situation of his monomia he determined to speak to her aunt on her behalf you know madam said he that on my last departure you spoke to me of your niece let me now speak to you of her my absence may satisfy you as to those suspicions that i know not why you entertained of me but let me entreat you to be kind to my lovely young friend for whom i scruple not to avow to you a very great regard what cried mrs leonard has she ever then been such an ungrateful girl as to say i was unkind to her never said orlando in the conversations we have accidentally had your niece has always spoken of you with gratitude and respect but after what you once said to me about her i should be remiss were i to quit the house without trying to obviate any little lurking prejudice which may at some future time be remembered to her disadvantage allow me therefore to intercede with you not only to forget any of these circumstances which may prejudice your mind against her but to increase that tenderness for her which does so much honour to your heart thank you sir said mrs rayland but i hope i do not want your advice nor anybody's to do my duty to the little girl since she is left upon my hands orlando never felt so great an inclination as at that moment to take monomia off her hands and as he found little was to be hoped for from his solicitations in her favour he took leave of mrs rayland and endeavoured when alone to collect all his resolution for this final adieu with monomia to drive from his recollection the offer of warwick which still recurred to tantalize and torment him to conceal from her that it ever had been made and to fortify her mind for their long separation while he felt his own sinking under it among other things it occurred to him that if death or caprice deprived monimia of the cold and reluctant protection her aunt now afforded her she might be not only desolate but penniless he determined therefore to leave with her one of the banker's notes he had just received of five-and-twenty pounds and to pass these last moments in arming her against every possible contingency which might happen during his absence and as far as he could instructing her how to act if they occurred monimia with swollen eyes 
from which the tears slowly fell, notwithstanding her endeavours to restrain them, listened in silence, as with a faltering tone and in disjointed sentences he went through this mournful task. She promised in a voice hardly articulate to attend to all he desired, and to keep a journal of her life. Through what it will be, she said, but a journal of sufferings and of sorrow. But when that sorrow, those sufferings, are over, my monomia, cried Orlando, trying to speak cheerfully, with what transport shall we look back on this journal and compare our past anxieties with our actual happiness? Let that idea encourage you amidst the heavy days that are to intervene before we meet again. Whatever you suffer, remember that your Orlando will return to dry your tears, and take care of your precious health, my monomia, preserve it for him. She could only answer by a deep-drawn sigh, while Orlando, cruel as the scene was, could not determine to put an end to it. Day already dawned, and as he did not mean to go to bed, but had ordered the underkeeper to attend him with the horses as soon as it was light, he knew that he should soon be called by Jacob, yet he could not determine to lead Monomia back to her turret till he heard the man at the door, who, tapping at it, informed him that the horses were ready, and the hour passed at which he ordered himself to be called. Monomia then arose and said, Farewell then, Orlando. He had no power to answer her, but led her silently through the chapel, round the court, and to her turret. The moment that tore him from her could not be delayed. He took the last embrace, and hastily bade her shut the door, lest he should fall into such a paroxysm of anguish as might render him unable to leave her at all. Monomia, who could not have supported the pain she endured much longer, with feeble and trembling hands obeyed him. But as slowly he descended the stairs, he heard her loud sobs, and was on the point of returning again to snatch her to his bosom, and declared it impossible to part with her. The loud noise of a whip, which Jacob, impatient of his long delay, now sounded around the house, roused him once more. He started from the dangerous reflection he was indulging, that it was yet in his own power to take Monomia with him, or at least to secure her following him with his sister, and again recovering his courage, he descended the stairs, left for the last time the beloved turret, and in a few moments mounted his horse, and rode almost at full speed through the park. He was soon on the high road to the first post-town towards Portsmouth, and having ascended and high down that afforded him the last view he could have of Rayland Hall, he stopped on the top of it, and turning his horse's head, fixed his eyes on the seat of all his past happiness, of all his future hopes, and thought how much he probably had to suffer before he should revisit it again how probable it was that he should never see it more. Jacob, who had but little notion of all this, 
yet supposed the captain as he was now called at the hall was sorry to leave all his friends and his monomy and hunting and shooting and such like to go to the wars now thought it might be kind to console him but orlando heeded not the very eloquent harangue which had lasted near a quarter of an hour but suddenly turned his horse and set out as speedily as before he took a post-horse at the town and put his portmanteau into a portsmouth diligence that was passing then dismissing his favourite horse which he would take no further and recommending him particularly to jacob who promised to attend to him while he fed at liberty in the park he made the servant a handsome present and on the hack which was ready he proceeded as if he was pursued for the speed with which he rode seemed to give him something like relief a very short time brought him to portsmouth where he found his baggage from london just arrived and learned that some of the soldiers were already embarked that the wind was fair and that new orders for the greatest expedition were arrived that day to the commander of the reinforcement going to america End of volume three chapter ten recording by elaine webb bristol england